There is more going on than you know. There are unseen universal forces at work. The law of attraction is just one universal law that plays a part in shaping your reality. But there's so much more to know. If you knew how to engage all the universal forces, you could deliberately create the life of your dreams. Joshua, a group of non-physical teachers, explains the laws of the universe and how the mechanisms of physical reality actually work. They are channeled by Gary Temple Bodley, and each week, Gary and a group of students discuss how they are affecting and enhancing their lives every single day. This is the expansion of the Law of Attraction. This is the teachings of Joshua Roundtable. We're thrilled you're here. Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Temple Bodley, and this is the Law of Attraction Roundtable. I'm here with my good friend, Matt Cohn. Matt's in Seattle. He just came back from Nepal. Matt had opted out of the cheese grater life 10 years ago or so, and we just had a fun conversation before we started here about how other people now in this time of coronavirus are choosing or being forced to opt out of that cheese grater life. So Matt, thank you so much for being here. How's it going? It's going very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. So... Talk about your last week in Nepal. What were you doing? <laughs> last week in Nepal, I, I was guiding a group of, of clients up to the Himalayas. So we took a, we were, our plan was a 10-day trek up to a place called Manang, which is in the Annapurna region, about 13,000 feet. And uh, we got up there and a few people got altitude sickness, so they decided to take a truck down. And I had this golden opportunity to walk uh, four days straight solo in the most beautiful scenery imaginable in the Himalayas all by myself. And along the way, started getting a little sense like, hmm, if I don't leave soon, I might be here for a long period of time. Yeah. Which was, uh, and my daughter sent me some messages saying, hey, dad, we know you don't act from fear, but you act from love. But because you love us, maybe you'll come home. <laughs> And I was an hour later, I was on a plane flying back up to the States. So wow. I got out just as, just as the door was closing on Nepal, I got back uh, into the States. Yeah. Um, one post that you talked about was this bus trip that you took. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. Incredible. <laughs> and it was, it took, it's supposed to, you know, it normally would have taken an hour, but it took three and a half that hours. Was, that was pr- probably a highlight of- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just such a beautiful scene. The, the Nepali life is, there's no particular agenda it seems timeless and wrapped in community and things get done at a very different time frame but they get done and uh, that was definitely a, a highlight of my trip was the three and a half hour bus ride that should have taken an hour just yeah. watching people <laughs> yeah and it, it seemed like it stopped every hundred yards or so <laughs> yeah yeah the and best, then the, be- the best part was the old lady getting off from the back of the bus <laughs> And uh, it took took 10 minutes to get her off, it seemed like. And once she got off, she yelled something to the bus driver and then proceeded to go into her house and gather a bunch of things and then come back and get on the bus. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody cared? Nobody cared. It was just, well, that's Grammy, you know, we'll be fine. You know, (laughs) I think this never would have happened in the world that I know is Seattle where, you know, they would have crucified the bus driver. Yeah. Well, we had talked when we met, like, geez, that seemed like ages ago, but it was just in February. And back then, everything was normal. So we were, you know, talking about this idea of, of conscious entrepreneurship. 
And it's really cool now because all of us are on pause and those, those of us who had businesses and things like that, you know, in the old days, it was all about me, 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 and conscious. I've been watching some very cool stuff. A lot of it's based in Seattle too. This one architect did a TED talk um, and he was talking about <clears throat> everyone's wages. And in the say 60s or 70s, the average CEO made eight times their average employee. And now that's like 360 times or something. And so he was like, okay, well, I want to go back to doing that. So how can I make it so I'm only making, you know, eight times what everyone else is. And so he changed everything around and he saw really cool results from that. And then he said, well, how, what if I made exactly the same as everyone else? And so he rose, he, he, the secretary was now making as much as junior architects and he brought his salary down. So he, they all made the same. You know, yep. and then he gave a piece of each building to each person, and so they had like this micro share of each building they 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 made. And then he also got together a group of investors, and these people had built buildings together. And when they get together to talk about a building, they say, "Okay, what's the most money we can make on a return on income?" And uh, so then they try and plan out the building to make the most possible return on the income. And then he said, "Well, what if we could do a?" building just for the homeless. And instead of saying, what's the most we can make, let's say, what's a reasonable profit based on the risk of this? And so they all decided that 5% was it, I think. And so they created this building that had, um, everyone had their own room that had a sink in it and a desk and it was all furnished, had a bed, had a closet. And the bathrooms were down the hall, and then they had a shared kitchen downstairs, and the rent, I think, was $230 a month or something like that. Um, and, and it was very successful. And they did it all without government funding at all. It was all private. And it was like, now they're t starting to think about, instead of me, 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 about us, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. How can we benefit the greater good of it all? So this is sort of what I think that you were talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's all part of a, a broader movement called the Conscious Capitalism Movement. And there was a book written, kind of kicked it off about 10, 12 years ago by John Mackey and Rosota Shioda. Um, John Mackey was the founder of Whole Foods. And so that book kind of started a whole movement. And there, there are actually chapters around the country of small businesses and people that gather around the notion of conscious capitalism. The other big, big piece of this is something called benefit corporations. And it was started in uh, around, around year 2010. And people looked at the traditional for-profit corporation. And a for-profit corporation in its DNA, in its charter documents, it says all decisions to benefit shareholders. So in a traditional for-profit company, it's almost against the rules to overpay your employees or to do even do charity work. So a traditional company does charity work. It's really a marketing campaign. Right. They give some money to the local community and then they do a big press release about it and it drives more business. But the, but the sole goal of a for-profit company is to benefit shareholders. Equally flawed, if you look at a traditional nonprofit, a nonprofit's charter says every dime goes to the cause. So let's go out and raise a bunch of money to help, you know, save, save the oceans. 
every dime has to go to saving the oceans and you can't pay employees very well. If your employees were driving nice cars, there'd be an article written in the newspaper that this comp- this nonprofit was not using funds appropriately. Yeah. So it's kind of equally flawed. So a benefit corporation was started in around 2010. And the idea is that the, the corporate documents mandate that management equally maximizes benefit for all stakeholders. So investors, employees, and say a dedicated cause that the company's in business for. Um, the best known example right now of benefit corporations is Patagonia Corporation. So Patagonia is in business to create products to help the planet crisis. And that's their corporate mission. So if it was a nonprofit, they would go out and raise money and try to do, you know, help the, corp- the climate crisis if there is one. Um, instead, what, ben- what Patagonia does is it builds really, really cool products. And then the profits of those are directed towards planetary issues. And they retain and they attract really, really cool employees that get jazzed up about this idea. And those employees are rewarded above and beyond average uh, wages because the company does so well. So they're cut in on the pie as well. So if you can imagine there's this triangle, rather than a traditional corporation, which is a single line. A single line in in sacred geometry is a pretty weak thing. You can't do much with a single line. Right. Right. And a triangle is considered the strongest geometrical shape on, in, in the universe, right? Yeah. And that's the triangle here. It's a three-legged stool. And right. so each of those people benefit. So it's, it's a really, really cool. There's about, uh, I think it's nearly 10,000 benefit corporations in the world. And about 3,500 of them are what are called certified benefit corporations. Mm. And certified B Corps go through a very rigorous process to get, in a sense, audited from everything from what's the what's the wage differential between your highest paid employee between your lowest paid employee? Um, do you have a battery recycling program? Do you uh, have a paternity program? Do you um, have a transparency on all your financials? There's there's this huge array of areas where you can get points, and if you get scored at a certain level, you get certified as a you know a recognized highest caliber company on the planet, if you will. Yeah. Well, what about the investors in those cases? So the modeling is um, that a benefit corporation mid to long term will actually have a higher rate of return than a traditional corporation. Why is this? Well, you're going to have you have customers that become passionate about your brand. Right. So they're willing to support like Patagonia, pay a premium for that brand because they're passionate about the work that Patagonia does. Patagonia is going to retract and retain the best employees out there because the millennials specifically coming into this space want to work for companies that have purpose. Yes. Right. And, and they're going to get overpaid. So the, the whole model, the investor is going to get, in theory, a higher rate of return. But, but there's an important point here. There's, there's what's called a dual return. Yeah. There's the primary financial return, but there's also, if you will, the philanthropic return. Right. So if you invest in a company like Patagonia, your money is being used towards something you're also passionate about. So that if you were basically just giving money out to nonprofits, you might want to invest that in a, in a benefit corporation and you get this dual return of feel good plus your financial return. So a company like Patagonia, is it listed on the stock market? And people no, it's a private shares. company. It's okay. a private company. Okay. Now, yeah. even if it was listed on the stock market, the, most companies on the stock market don't give, you know, annuities or, or, you know, 
any direct money. A few do, like Ford, but most of them don't. And people are speculating on the value of that company. And that's really what the, what the shares are going up for. And so a normal company will say, we need to maximize the value of this company through whatever it is, buying back stock or having a good spreadsheet or growth or whatever it is. And it's really just news, good news, that promotes the shares of the company, which could be true of any company, even if it was a benefit company as well. It's, it's not like dividends really are the driving force in what makes the stock price go up. Ford is a perfect example because the dividends have always been there and the stock price is $10. So I had a situation where when I had my real estate appraisal company, I started from scratch and I got the business up and running and then I hired my two really good friends. I trained them in how to do the business. They became certified and they were making you know, great money, like $200,000 a year. And I was always, always worried that they would split off and start their own companies, right? And so I had a, was trying to control that. And there was really not much I could have done, but I, I could have made them sign non-compete contracts. And that fear of them leaving me, because what it would do to me if they left, actually came true. And they both on the same day came into my office and said, we're leaving, we're starting our own companies, we're taking your clients and we're taking your employees. And so I went from you know 30 people down to 10 people in that case, in the last two thirds of my half my clients. And I was devastated because here I am, they were basically blue collar workers making $10 an hour and here they are you know, now buying houses and having families and having all this money. So I said, they should appreciate me for what I'm doing for them. And everything that I was doing was trying to get that appreciation from them, trying to make money off of them, that sort of thing. So here I am more than 10 years later and 15 years later. And from my perspective now, it's like I should have hired them from the beginning and said, I'm going to teach you everything I know. And at some point you'll be ready to go out on your own and you can take any employees you want and any clients you want. And the results would have been the same, except I would have retained what was most important was the relationship with them, sure. you know, instead of having this income com coming in, which I can see from my perspective now, I just blew it on bullshit and lost it all anyway. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. 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 There's very much in the conscious capitalism movement. So to take your example, um, there's very much of a, a goal of replication. And, and having others mimic and do exactly what you do. Because yeah. if your cause, so in Patagonia's case, is uh, climate change, or in Ben & Jerry's is another, there's a strong local community involvement. Um, if you can get other companies to replicate what you're doing, then you're in a sense further delivering on your mission, right? right? And so you, you absolutely hope that other people will do exactly as you do because a core part of your DNA is to affect positive change for humanity or the planet in a specific area. Right? Exactly. And so, and so you, you, and so there's a very open book of here's how, here's what we're doing. And it's more of a co-opetition, you know, yeah. it's, it's still, it's still a, there's still a sense of, of 
capitalism and I want to succeed. Like I'm a creator. I want to be, I want to create and get rewards for that. Cause that's kind of part of the human DNA. Like right. we, we like to be rewarded. Right. But there's very much, if you see that your goal is to specifically accomplish X mission, then absolutely have employees leave and replicate the company that would further the mission. It would divide and conquer. Right. Yeah. This is something that's interesting about Joshua because <clears throat> Joshua created the boot camp which you're in right now. And from the very beginning, Joshua said, so this is all open source. So yeah. any of those people who come to the boot camp, you can literally take Joshua's name off of it and have it word for word, put your name on top of it and yeah. then promote it yourself and do the exact same thing. And so people have been doing this to greater or lesser degrees. And the idea is that the goal is not to, you know, make Joshua famous or make Joshua bigger. The goal is to have these teachings spread out sure. and taught by people from different perspectives because otherwise it's just my perspective. So in the bootcamp, we'll have other people do the coaching calls so that they can translate the material from their perspective and bring out nuances that I couldn't see. And so the more people that replicate this, the better it is. And, uh, exactly. and it's co completely counterintuitive. And when you explain that to people, even to myself, initially, it was like, what do you mean if you've done all this work, you've done this? I said, no, I haven't done anything other than let it flow <laughs> forth, which is true of every invention, every book, every article, everything that's ever done. This, there's no need for us to claim ownership to any of it perceiving that our financial abundance is sometime, somehow tied to this thing that we've flown, you know, that we've created. And as the creator, we want to let it out there but, and, and then detach uh, our self-worth from whatever that creation is. And if you can do that, then you are much freer to create. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a principle I really love, which is passionate detachment. Yeah. And, and hold, holding passion and continuing to detach from it. And so, you know, thank God those employees went away and allowed you to graduate into something else, right? And, and as much as you're enjoying this, I'm assuming you're looking forward to the day you graduate out of doing this and to the next great big classroom that you get to be a part of, right? Yeah, and this is ex exactly right. Uh, I've, I really feel like, you know, I've been in five years of college, which is the first five years of Joshua. And now I'm out on my own starting my first venture and going through the wobbles of understanding who I am and developing something that will be unleashed and other people will carry it forward. And then I'll go on to this next thing where, where the money part of it, Jesus, it could come from anywhere. It's so incredible. You know, that it doesn't have to come from anything you think it's going to come from. You know, and, I, and, and my basis is I have a certain lifestyle that I like to maintain, but that doesn't really take that much money to do this, mm -hmm. you know, sure. and, as, and you taught me this is like, really think about as you think about sharing more and thinking about oneness and the idea that we're all one and that there's no need to scrimp and save and you know, have, have this sense of security because we're taken care of by a loving and supporting, supportive universe, that now you just are so much more freer. There's no more weight on your shoulders. Sure. Using, using the college metaphor, um, the way I kind of see capitalism for the last hundred years or so has been like freshman year in college. Mm. Um, it's, it's been selfish. It's been party hard. It's been 
you know, reckless abandon. And, and we're waking up towards the end of freshman year and we're, we have a hangover and we're realizing, you know, this isn't quite sustainable. Yeah. You know, this whole, this whole way of doing things, is just not sustainable. And so there's more of like an interest in creating a diversified portfolio of where my joy and satisfaction and love comes from. And that's this three part, three legged stool system of, a, of, of the benefit corporation where let's say a, a company was created in the, in the previous model and the CEO is making, you know, 3000 times. And, and basically they're just stockpiling resources right. and for fear or for ego purposes. Right. And the more, the more that gets put into that stockpile, actually the greater their fear and ego comes. Absolutely. Right? So th- there's a diminishing level of happiness that comes from that. Yes. And, and what a benefit corporation has kind of intrinsically built into the system is a cap on the potential for greed. Because the more that comes into the system, you're automatically feeding your employees more and you're giving back to the society as a whole more. And so management that comes through that vortex that's kind of working with all three of those things starts to inherently just get more joy from things other than seeing their own bank account rise. They're seeing their employees' bank accounts rise and do great things in the world and the cause that they were passionate about having impact in the world. Um, Yeah. So there's a there's a, a really cool I've gone to a lot of seminars on benefit corporations and probably the neatest ones are down in the Silicon Valley area. And I'll, I'll call them third time to the plate guys. These are these are tech entrepreneurs that hit hit a couple home runs, you know, driving super expensive cars, nice houses. And and frankly, they're now trying to like give back. And so they start doing some charity work. And they get involved with a charity and they're saying, Oh, this is a real I want to solve homelessness in in San Francisco. But you know what? I've got this new business idea. So how about I put this business together and this business, its goal is going to be to, to, you know, solve homeless issues in in San Francisco. So it becomes like their, their, their DNA, their makeup is entrepreneurial to build and create, but they're now directing it towards one of their causes. And they call it like three dimensional chessboards. Like initially I had a one dimensional chessboard and it became the master of that. But that becomes a little boring. Now you've got this three-dimensional chessboard of my employees, the cause, and myself. And how does that all feed together? It's it's way more interesting to them. Yeah. So, so these are some of the brightest and smartest minds from an entrepreneurial perspective that can solve or work on hum, you know social issues. Yeah. And combining that together with the power of capitalism, it it totally turns me on. <laughs> it's also funny that this when I was in business 15 years ago, this concept was unheard of to me. I never heard of it before. Um, and I, you know, my belief system was such that this is the only way to do business. So I became very successful and all my friends had businesses and they were all successful too. And so we would be at these parties and we're like, what do we do now? What do we do now? And they're like, well, we need to join this charity. Right. And so we do this charity and we would have these big balls in Palm beach, dress up in tuxedos, have famous bands play, have famous people there. And it was all like, okay, well, this is just one night. It's, and, and it's so extravagant, you know, that it's people are paying $250, $300 a plate, $500 a plate, whatever that was, maybe it was probably like $5,000 a table. And it cost probably $4,000 a table, you know. So the benefit was so small in what we were doing. And I was like, even back then I saw all they're doing is trying to make it so people can feel better about 
their wealth. You know, they're sure. doing something. But they weren't, you know, it was about March and Dimes was one of them. And March of Dimes, they would have a couple of people come up and talk about it. But the rest of the conversation of the night was never about that. It was always about this petty stuff. And all of these people, every single one of them, were either going through divorce, in lawsuits, uh, getting DUIs, uh, having problems with their kids. And end of freshman year. It's the end of freshman year. Yeah. And 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 that's like this. I've been waiting for this time for a long time. This this time we're in right now because many many people are home evaluating what's important. And there's this framework that's been set for the last decade. Like it's the corporate structures, there's lawyers that help you set them up, there's peer groups to support people, and a new way of doing business that that is financially rewarding, but also heart rewarding, and it's just a whole lot more fun. And so I'm expecting a lot of graduations from freshman year into sophomore year here with people looking at how to do business in this new world that's evolving. Yeah, so we have a few months now to be to give up the distraction of our old lives people who are working in cubicles and had no sense of purpose to what they were doing are reevaluating their lives and coming up with new priorities and the previous priority was how do i protect myself how do i prove my worthiness how do i get people to like love and respect me and now it's that's all one that's all um individuality and fear based in the old approach to life and josh was talking about this now is that as we emerge from this in whatever time it takes us, no one's gonna, I mean, we're not gonna wanna put up with the old dynamic of just trading time for money. And Joshua has always said that in a hundred years, people are gonna look back at people who worked in a cubicle and did things they were not passionate about and had no sense of purpose as a different form of slavery. Just mm -hmm. sacrificing that time during the day to eke out a very meager existence. Yeah. Yeah. If, so the last call you and I did, remember we talked about something called the abundance model, right? Yes. And so the abundance model is simply a personal practice for being your own benefit corporation, right? And, and a benefit corporation is kind of the, the corporate structure for running a whole organization. And the idea, the, my, the, the abundance model is 70-30. But this is roughly 30, a third, a third, and a third. So mm -hmm. in, in your employees, your investors, and your cause equally receiving the benefit of, of the operation. So if a corporation made $10 million in profit, a third of it would go towards your strategic cause. This is very different than charity. So charity is you throw it over the wall and you go to a lunch and you give them a check and say, thank you for doing work for us. Right. It, it's almost, I kind of like call it karmic cleansing. It's like, yeah, we've, we run a dirty operation, so let's offset some of this to some people that are doing good work, and that kind of karmic offsets our work. Yes, right. right? In, in this new world, no, your company has a strategic vision. Say, let's say it's homelessness in San Francisco, and you're creating a new tech software company. Your people, you have, a, you have people on your staff that are involved with that strategic issue, and they may even be create applications like a... a, a, a find a place to camp in, in San Francisco app on your phone, you know, cause you need to spend the night on a street somewhere. Like they're, they're involved in technology to cause that issue. And then they may have some revenue or profit generating products to keep the thing going. So Patagonia, the first half of their board meetings is about global crisis and, and climate change issues. Yeah. So, so that's what they start with as if they were a strategic uh, think tank 
And then they go to, okay, now that those are our issues, what products and services can we build to affect change? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not the other way around. Hey, right. hey, we created so much money in this corporation where how can, you know, we got 10% extra, who can we give it to? You know, it's, it's a flip of that completely. Yeah. So like the abundance model is that the money goes into those three cups yep. right off the start, you know, yep. not what's left over. No. And legally what a benefit corporation does is it protects management for doing deci- making decisions that would traditionally look counter to an investor's best interest. So traditionally, if you're giving, you know, overpaying your employees, you could have an investor lawsuit saying, hey, you know, relative to industry averages, you're overpaying employees and you're, you're taking money out of my pocket. Um, in a benefit corporation, you know, that management's protected or investors are well informed, you could say. To uh, to invest in this company, knowing this is the case. Yeah. And so yeah. So it's a maximization model for all the stakeholders. Yeah. And you look at things like Uber, where Travis was kicked out, you know, of his company by the board, and so now you have a board that's bought into this idea to start with, yep. and yep. and they're not going to overhaul or you won't have a some other company entity come in and and try and take over which which means to me that that this is the that this whole idea of going public is counterintuitive to this model yeah there's only uh, i think there are three b corps that are public um it's it's going to be more, I think, private investment and and it's something that you're in for the long term and you know there's um it's something you feel good about having your money working within. Right? Yeah. No, so we'll see. Yeah. Nor do you need to exponentially increase the funds coming in to do anything. You can yeah. go on a slow growth. You don't have to do it yeah. fast. And it seems to me, I mean, you know, I had times in my life where people wanted to take my company public and it was only for one reason to get rich. That was it. There was no other benefit to it whatsoever. In fact, there's so many downsides to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There was a really exciting event happened August 19th of last year. And there's an organization called the Business Roundtable. And these are the CEOs of the 200 largest companies in the U.S. And so these are big, 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 big companies. And they put out corporate governance policy statements and things like this. And in, you know, for long term, the sole purpose of corporations was to, max, to maximize return for shareholder value. Last summer, August 19th, 2019, they issued a new statement that said, we share a mutual interest in maximizing return for all stakeholders. So it was a huge deal to be able, I mean, this is on the radar screens of large companies yeah. that the new paradigm is planet employees and investors you can kind of call it those three buckets yeah. and that for this to be sustainable we can't we can't rape and pillage the earth and and have long-term sustainable business let alone planet so. as i see companies now they're really and we're seeing this with <clears throat> with the razor thin margins of everything so mm-hmm. so a corporation is, is designed to rape and pillage every possible sector to get the lowest possible labor and then to increase the productivity of that labor. And so you just see more and more people who are accountable through technology for every minute that they spend at work and people working overtime and 
but not getting paid overtime and all this stuff. And so they, and so then they, I mean, Walmart, look at Walmart is a perfect example that, that they do everything they can to get the products at the lowest possible by promising high volumes, which, and then they get the lowest possible labor they can. And now Walmart is getting rid of all the cashiers. So all, every single Walmart will be all automated cashiers. And there's like, just what's the benefit? The benefit is these prices that are, that are artificially low, that don't make any sense. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I really like to see the whole world as software. You know, the matrix and like everything is software. I'm a piece of software. Everything's software. And it's all programmable. Right. And so a company, a company like Monsanto is not an evil company. It's right. simply executing on its code. And yes. it's a very, the base of its code, it says maximize interest for shareholder value. There's nothing in there that says to enrich employees' lives or help. Or the environment or the public or any of that stuff. Base code. Yep. Right. And if, right. If you modify that base code and allow the system to run and optimize to that code, then you're going to have companies like Patagonia that, that are truly benefiting those three stakeholders. Yeah. And especially if you, you have this out for a while, the millennials are good bullshit meters and you know, they're going to come into a company and know if it's in being an integrity or not. And, right. you know, and they're, and they're the ones going to rise to the ranks and have, yeah, we built this company based on these core values and this is what we do then those are going to be unshakable foundations. Those foundations are going to drive and they'll set an example for their competitors and open book policy says, well, if we can get our competitors to do this too, our boat will rise as well because our boat is the planet and our boat is employees and everybody around us yeah. and investors will get a reasonable return. So. It seems like human beings belief system is the code. And that belief system is very hard to rewrite. And so you go through business school and you're taught by these old people. I was in business school and I didn't have a professor under 65 at FAU in Boca Raton. It was all these retired CEOs of companies and they were teaching stuff, depression era stuff, you know, and it was, it was like, that's how you have to do it. You have to do this way and this way. You have to get the cheapest possible good. You have to get the cheapest possible labor. You have to uh, maximize profits. And, and it was like, so you go through that and you think this is the only way to do it. But now we have the age of technology where people can learn different ideas and that resonate with who they are. And business schools are following suit. Uh, my good friend of mine's daughter is at business school at Santa Clara in Silicon Valley, and she's her undergraduate degrees in conscious capitalism. You know, um, mm. and and so the, it's happening really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're again, it's driven. My my I have two millennial children. They they see the world pretty differently. Enough is enough, and now let's go have fun. And and I want to be in pretty places when I'm having fun. Like. And want to do something that feels good. Yeah, and it's it's different than you and I watching Wall Street and Gordon Gecko and greed is good. And, you know, we came out in the '80s, and that's what we were modeled to do was to do that. And we've set the stage to show the children that yeah, that was okay for a while, but I've got a hangover; it doesn't really work so well. Exactly <laughs> and the kids right. are like, I don't need to drink as much as you. Let's uh, let's have a more <laughs> you know healthier diet here than you did, Dad. Exactly. <laughs> 
thanks for showing me the way. <laughs> so I think this first idea of conscious capitalism is that everyone needs a purpose. And when you get people behind a purpose, that's when they're inspired and that inspiration flows from this place of alignment. And when people are controlled in fear, which is the basis of most businesses, is controlling the employees in fear, fear of them getting fired or not promoted or whatever it is, and fear of being late to work. You know, there's people here who are still going to work because they're afraid of getting fired. You know, and the companies still say, no, you've got to come to work. Uh, when they could easily do it from home. That's the thing. They could easily telecommunicate. Okay, so purpose is one thing. Then another big thing is transparency. Previous business is all about keeping your business model absolutely secret and keeping how much money you make secret and also keeping secret how much you pay each employee. You know, and that was in business back then. You never were able to discuss how much you made to compare to someone else or you never knew what you were getting compared to someone else. Yeah. I always, well, my company was different because it was appraisers. Everybody got a percentage. You know, you did this part of the job, you got a percentage of what we got on that job. And so everyone was equal on that. Uh, but there were different levels. You were either an appraiser or a review appraiser, um, and that's it, right? Two levels. Yeah. And so you could make your way up to review appraiser if that's what you liked. But if you did enough inspection appraisals, you could make as much as a review appraiser, uh, but you just, you know, you would work harder. And some people like that more. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a whole bunch of new models out there. Uh, I have a friend of mine who works at a company where you, 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 in your peer group, you ask what your, you would like your bonus and your raise to be, and the peer group all agrees with you or not. And so you have to ask for what you want, and your mm. peers say yes or no. Yeah. Um, there's other companies that have complete payroll uh, listings that show what every person in the company is making on their internal documents, uh, yeah. internal websites and stuff. You know? yeah. So, yeah, so there's more transparency to that. Sure. What about making it externally available? Sure. Yeah. Well, there, right now it's ratios. So you can claim that your highest paid employee is eight times, uh, 10 times over your lowest paid employee. And that's kind of more the trend within B Corps right now. Um, but I would see a day, sure. Um, it's funny when you go to Nepal. Nepal, you can ask any person their age and how much they money, money they make, and they gladly tell you. They have yeah. <laughs> it's just a different culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no hidden hidden agenda behind that. <laughs> yeah, I've been um, well. I am coming out and asking people now how old they are because I think at certain ages there's there's meaning behind that, mm. and uh, I freely tell how much exactly how much money I make, um, which which doesn't give you the whole story because most of that's reinvested, you know, into this whatever this is. Uh, so so I I think that. I had this idea that because I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are going to help this become more transparent, especially in government, that that everything that a government does and pays for everything is could be on a blockchain that every citizen could see anywhere in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just freely out there that there is no transparency in it or there is only transparency in everything. Well, this could be applied to a business, too. And I had this idea that. What if you set up a yogurt store? And so you had a program that would contact realtors and the realtors would find the ideal store and the AI would sort of figure out what's the best location for this yogurt store and then would pay 
the realtors or consultants through Bitcoin automatically once they've done their thing. And then we'd find the best supplier for the vending machines and then for the, for the frozen yogurt machines and then find the supplier for the frozen yogurt and set up an arrangement where the suppliers clean and do the yogurt machines. And then customers would come in and they would pay with their phone through Bitcoin, get whatever they wanted and scale it. And that's how they pay. So there'd be no human interaction needed, right? Except someone to clean would be the only thing. And the entire thing, corporation could be owned by an AI from beginning to end. And you could see exactly how much the costs were, how much they paid. And then the Bitcoin would be paid instantly. I had another idea of a restaurant where you have cooks and servers and manager and everything. And everyone's paid in Bitcoin. So you would bring in the money, everyone's paying in Bitcoin, and then you would set up accounts for rent and electric and insurance and stuff like that. And then as people log in, you know, clock in with their phone and clock out with their phone, they're paid instantly based on what that is, you know, and a certain amount is set aside for taxes or for profit sharing or whatever it is in an account that everyone can see, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, wouldn't that be cool? Even all the customers see how much it is, you know? And so, and then the AI sets up the investor receives say 5% or something, Mm -hmm. you know, for the capital infusion. Yeah. No, I love it. (laughs) Love it. You know, you, you talk a lot about, and Joshua talks a lot about abundance. And, and again, what I think, the way I feel about this is capitalism through freshman year has not, it's been on scarcity. And yes. it's been on stockpiling for future in, in my own needs or my, my future generation needs, my you know, children's needs, grandchildren's needs, and so forth. Right. And, and having worked with a lot of wealthy families on their philanthropy, there's so much scarcity in the wealthiest. Yes. scarcity mindsets in the wealthy and, and so much anxiety and fear and sadness. Um, so the way I see abundance is the notion I have a closet. My closet can only hold three jackets and I have 10 jackets and you walk by and you're cold and I give you one of the jackets. It's because I have too many jackets and it feels good inherently to, to see where that was supposed to go because it wasn't supposed to go in my closet. Right. Right. And you, and so the joy of seeing you take it and the sort of the joy of acting on behalf of source, like I, I'm an agent of source. I have been given these excess resources. Where's the appropriate place for them to go that meets my own joy and satisfaction and love. And that's really the key part of this conscious capitalism and the modeling of the benefit corporation is you inherently build in your system that you have an external beneficiary. Uh, who's the beneficiary of what we're doing? Right. And in the fact, in the, in the past, the beneficiary of children and great grandchildren in our lineage. Right. And that was who to benefit by our actions. Yeah. And, and, in, and usually all kinds of research shows that all we're doing is screwing up future generations. Absolutely. Those new generations come in with no creative incentive to do anything. Yes. And, and fear that they're supposed to keep granddad's thing going. Right. So there's all kinds of, horrible cases of depression of inheritance of money right so here we redirect the beneficiary to something that we're passionate about and it delivers on the model much better yeah i lived in palm beach and my you know palm beach is probably the wealthiest you know square footage in the world 
of mm-hmm. millionaires and billionaires. And we, we had, Lily and I were always, because we grew up in Florida, this was our goal was to one day live in Palm Beach. What, well, mm-hmm. the first goal was to live on the water. You know, if you could live mm-hmm. on the water in Florida, oh my God, have a boat behind your house. So we did that. That was, in, that was nothing, right? So then we are able to live in this incredible place in Palm Beach, this tiny little house that was just perfect, right in the middle of town. And we're thinking we're going to make all these friends and everything. And literally everyone is keeping to themselves. It's afraid of contact with other people. No one's saying hi, you know, and they're driving around in very expensive cars with just sour moods all the time. And I did, you said appraisals in Palm Beach and we did this appraisal of this 15 square thousand square foot house that was probably worth $7 million. And the house had the secretary who had an office in the living room. The living room was just, you can't even imagine how, maybe 3,000 square foot. That was her office, just one desk <laughs> in the corner. And then the woman was in her bedroom 24-7. And no one was allowed in. And I said, I have to go in. I have to look at it. I got to take a picture. And she's like, no, no one can go in. I said, well, here's my camera. You need to take a picture of this room. And she goes in. And it was all dark. All the shades are down. And then they have these dogs running around with shit everywhere, dog crap everywhere. And this is the thing. It's like, it's, a, it's, it's the programming of this human was designed to accumulate wealth for security, and it never gave her anything. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, if you've ever, I did a couple houses as an appraiser of hoarders. And the hoarders' mindset was, I may need this in the future because I do not feel secure now in the present. And so they would keep everything. And so you'd maybe piles of newspaper and, and stuff they bought online and toys and dolls and stuff that are to the ceiling. And they had little narrow hallways to get everywhere. But the kitchen, the stove is filled with stuff and filled stuff on top. So the stove has never been used in 15 years. You know, they can't do anything. And there's just, it's like, this is the programming of the human. So we need to somehow figure out a way to reprogram. And, and maybe we don't have to do it because maybe the millennials are coming in this way anyway. It's, it's, it's evolving. The whole systems are perpetual uh, improvement, calibration towards better. Right. Yeah. And you know, our, our generation improved on the previous generation. And right. then we were passing the, the wilted baton to a new group that's coming in and can look at what we've created and improve upon that. And so- right. You know, capitalism is the most powerful force that's ever been brought here. I mean, amazing things have been built through capitalism, but it's need for an upgrade. And right. it's called, you know, business 2.0 is another term that's used a lot. And the tweak in it is maximize return for all shareholders. Yeah. And, and, it, and that cr- it creates a checks and balances system, you know, like a good performing government. It's got a three-party system. It's got each of those systems looking after each other. And so it keeps greed in check for investors and keeps employees motivated and engaged. And then there's a benefit there. Yeah. It's, out, it's outside the organization. Okay. So then those of us, I'm 57. Um, I would say that we've, we've played around with the old approach to life. It doesn't work. What do we do now? I, I would say it has worked and there are ways that it works better. So it's an improvement process, right? Yeah. And and we're at a phase now where we're we're performance review. Well, that you know we passed the course, we're still alive, and there was fun to be had. But there's new ways are coming about. 
And, and I think it's just, it, this is inherently understood by the new generation coming in. Yeah. So it's not like, I, I don't feel like I've got this great wisdom. I'm just sort of like, maybe like in gleaning what these kids are about to do. Yes. Like, this is kind of like, almost like their, their mission is yeah. to, you know, to move forward what, you know, we've, we've laid for them. So I, I think mostly is encourage them to be uniquely who they are, <laughs> not try to dissuade them from doing what they're going to do anyways. Right. And, and, you know, ride along on their coattails and have a lot of fun with it. And, yeah. Not resist what is inevitably going to happen and yeah. not be in fear of it and understand that things are always getting better. And that this coronavirus we're in right now is this opportunity for us to reset our priorities and to realize that, that there is really nothing to fear, that all the fear that you thought before this, like in February, that doesn't matter anymore. It's, so why did you feel fear back then, right? And so this is taking our, taking our uh, attention now to something, and this will pass, but are we going to go back to that old approach, or are we going to say, no, for the rest of my life, I'm going to focus on the things that I'm passionate about, not to protect myself or to create some sense of security that I need to feel good, but to feel good in the moment and to just do what I'm inspired to do. And there'll be more and more examples of what feel good looks like. Yeah. And that's really the key thing is you're going to find more and more companies like Patagonia and these other companies that right, those guys feel good. Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, what are they doing? Well, let's, let's try that and either morph our company or ditch our company and start anew. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Ditch the company. Yeah. Um, okay. So you've been, I follow along on your yoga, Yoda monk series and I love the picture and I envision that being the picture, the cover of the book one day. That you tie all these things together and make a make a book. What is, what's what's are you just living day by day and just no intentions um, for the future? Thanks for asking. My mom asks the same question a lot as well. Well, I'm asking from a place of love. Because <laughs> I want to see more. <laughs> I feel like uh, standby is right now. Um, I've for the last ten years have felt a little bit like a. a cage rattler like i've been the instigator the the trickster the protagonist i've been poking the cage yeah and and trying to see, get people to see things differently and right now the cage is rat raging yeah and so i'm actually feeling more like it's time to be respectful and be a little on the sidelines to uh -huh. allow for some semblance to come forward before i feel like i ready appropriate to take leadership position so it's yeah. almost like the, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and so it's kind of like I, I tipped it over. Now let's let's wait till it settles before I run forward. But I, I mean, I've been I've been trained in a couple few decades of unconscious business, and then I've had the last ten years of practicing consciousness. And so I can see, you know, my my mission, if I will choose to accept it, is going to be something in this area. Yeah, I've, I've helped uh, set up two B Corps in the last 10 years. And um, so I've gone through the process and it's a lot of fun. So I'm anticipating there being, it was pushing a string up until uh, a few months ago. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it was, <laughs> it was like, I like eh, that eh. <laughs> it's just, it's just pushing the string. And, and now I think there's going to be a lot more receptivity to doing things that feel better. Yeah. 
because people are so not feeling so good, they're going to be more receptive now. And in past, it was just kind of like stagnation. Yeah, this doesn't feel good, but it doesn't feel so bad. And it was sustainably blah, right? <laughs> yeah. Today is uh, March 26. Mm. And Charlotte just did lockdown today. Today is the first day of lockdown in Charlotte. Um, mm. Whatever that is. I don't even know if that... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, Lowe's is still open and Home Depot is still open. So, uh, but, it, you know, it's like people now, this first really week or so, I don't see much suffering. I see a lot of joy and people are having fun with their family and being silly and posting fun memes and stuff like that. So I think that this reset is really allowing them to see that, Hey, I'm okay. Today's fine. Everything's good today. Uh, you know, we'll take care of ourselves today and we'll play around here. And so it's going to be this journey of, of how you keep that going. And I wonder if it's like a natural thing. It's like, to me, it's just more fun right now talking to everyone. We're getting together and every single person that I talk to, and maybe my world's a little different, is that they're really enjoying this time off work. It's like spring break. Unique friend, yeah. You might have a unique friend group. I, I do a ten day, I do a ten day retreat every year in silence. Uh, day fun is day day one and two is usually sort of fun. Yeah. Day four, five, six, some days are just brutally miserable. Mm. Right. And and it kind of feels like the whole world is going on a you know a ten day retreat. Um, I, I I heard stories the other day that China opened some government offices and they had the largest spike in divorce filings they've yes. ever had. Yes, right. I heard that and, too. Right? And you know, and so I think there's uh, there's going to be joy, but then there's going to be a sense of empowerment, and there's a whole bunch of changes that are going to come. And and you know, for some people, it's going the change is going to be really hard and scary. So it, the, the sure. lightness, you know, it does feel like a big snow day right now. When I was a kid, and we got snowed yes. in, and and you know, things in theory were closed, but the kids could go out and play, and everybody got to settle in. But um, but structure, I'm in. The structures are changing. Things are going to be different. And it's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And there's, you know, and we're going to get through this, but we're going to really understand, hey, if that relationship isn't what you want, you don't need to hold on to it for the rest of your life. If you're holding on to that relationship just for a sense of security, it's like holding on to a big bank account. It's not going to give you what you want, right? Yeah. In the Hindu tradition, it's the god of Kali and Kali rising. And Kali is the god of destruction. And, you know, Kali comes in and just periodically just, it's like, a, I love the visual of, uh, remember the Etch-a-Sketches? Yes. And we used to, we'd spend time making this beautiful mandala and then you'd shake it clean, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Kali is that, it's just it's getting shaken clean. Yeah. So. To me, this is like, you know, living in Florida, we went through hurricanes all the time. This is like a hurricane. So... Right now we're in the phase where we see a hurricane coming. And so everyone's stockpiling everything and all the generators and waters are gone, right? Which is what would happen all the time in plywood. And people are filling up the gas tanks and they're shuttering up their houses and they're coming alone. But people are helping other people shutter up their houses right now, but everyone's gonna eventually go into their house. Um, and then we'll ride it out. And at some point we'll come outside when the eye is there and we'll pay attention to the news while the power's on and see where it is. And then in the aftermath, we'll rebuild better than what was there before. 
And then we'll have this sense of, oh my God, we are resilient. And in that resilience thing, now we focus on what we truly want. And then there's going to be another surge in prosperity. And then something else will happen again, because we have to be taken in incremental steps to this new, new, new world order. Sounds like a bad thing, but it's actually this new way of oneness and love and acceptance of people, you know, of conditions and of ourselves. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end it. Thank you so much for being here. This is a great conversation. Let's keep going. And I have this vision of building alliances and building bridges between mountains over valleys, between mountains and connecting everyone. And there is a, a, you know, because this is fun to talk about, we know that this is aligned with who we really are. And the hour goes by like that. And it's interesting. It was never lost for words. So we'll keep doing this. And I'm going to introduce you to some other podcasters if you feel like talking to them too. Love to. That'd, That'd be, be great. great. Awesome. Take care. All right, Take Ben. Care. Thanks so much. Take Talk care. to you later. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you would like to support this show, the best thing you can do is subscribe, uh, especially on iTunes. Also, leave your comments and leave your ratings. And that will help us grow this community of people who are interested in law of attraction and the uh, mechanism of physical reality. It'll be cool to spread the word even further. And you can help out by subscribing, leaving your comments, and rating the show. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Teachings of Joshua Roundtable. Remember, you are loved more than you can imagine by more than you could ever count. We'll see you next week.